If you have your Bibles, I'm going to the Word of God for just a short time this morning, and I hope that you'll give me your undivided attention for just a few moments. As you know, I preach much quicker when I think you're listening. So, praise God. Sister Michelle, you doing all right? Awesome. Good to see you this morning. You have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. I'm going to the Word. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. In a ship was Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And I'm going to speak this morning on this Simple subject, just for a moment. God is calling. Lord Jesus, here we are today. We ask that your blessings would be upon us. We ask that you would guide our steps and direct our paths, that you would help us today, Lord, and that above all, that somebody would hear the call of God in their life today. And I give you praise and I give you glory. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Since the creation of man so many, many generations ago, generations have lived and died. Some died wealthy. Some died not so wealthy. Some were pretty. Some were handsome, some were not so pretty, not so handsome. Dead are anonymous to us today. Now this is striking because many of these people were people that you would have known had you lived in their day. But today... Mostly, example, there'll be a few of you who are familiar with Maine. You'll remember who he is, but most of you will have never Benjamin Ames. He was a Harvard graduate. He served four years as a county attorney for Lincoln County. He was a judge here in Maine. He was a major in the Maine militia. 1812. He served 10 years on Bowdoin College's Board of Overseers. He was a Maine state representative and in fact was the very first speaker
you should remember him for, because he also... One day, Mr. Ames suffered a... And he died at his brother-in-law's home in Holton. Very well known in his day. Today, however, he's buried in a place that most of us have never heard of, Soldier's Cemetery in Holton, Maine. And I would dare say that most of you had never heard his name spoken. Everything in this life is temporary. There's nothing permanent here. What we have, we And the true riches that we have are the It is possible to be wealthy and yet be impoverished. Because the true riches are the riches that we can take with us, which is hopefully will be our families, our friends, our walk with God. Everything here is temporary. However, your soul is immortal. Our mortal bodies are inhabited by immortal souls. You and I were created with a God-shaped vacuum that the Bible calls a soul. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There's a lot of mystique about the soul, a lot of questions. But let me just say that the soul is the inner life of a man. It's the very seat of his emotions, the very center of his or her human personality. Your soul is very unique, given by God. And one thing that's common about every soul is the soul longs to be in the presence of God. The soul thrives in the presence of God. And the soul is restless and never happy when not properly cared for. So you can have someone who seems to have a lot of good things going But they're restless, and whenever they're one place, they want to be somewhere else. And whenever they're doing something, it's never quite enough, and it's always like something is missing. You see, the psalmist David said it like this. Let me use his words. O God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. He tells us how it is. The soul has a thirst for God. This is why you read about so many unhappy people. Because if the soul is not happy, the person 
is not happy. Your soul must have God just as surely as your body must have food. If a fish can live out of the water without distress, then a a man or a woman can live without God without distress. Because the soul that God has placed in you thrives in the presence of God and is very distressed, much like a fish out of water, when it is not allowed to have its nourishing presence of God. Somebody says, well, God's everywhere. That is true. But the Bible says that the Spirit of God inhabits the praises of Israel. When the pastor tries to get you to worship God, I'm not just trying to get you to do something that is not healthy. I'm trying to get you to do something that brings the presence of God in a much fuller sense into your life because the Word of God says that the Spirit of God inhabits the praises of Israel. So when you're going through difficult times or dry times, try this. Get in your car and go to some place where you can, all, you can be all by yourself. Look around carefully and check to make sure nobody's watching. And then say like the old farmer, hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. Somebody says, well, what's that going to do? Watch. The Bible says that the Spirit of God inhabits the praises And I've noticed that God approaches us in the same manner we approach Him. For instance, if I say, I love you, Jesus. He goes, I love you too. If I go, I love you, Jesus. He goes, I love you too. He responds to us very similarly as we approach Him. You see, you can eat three nutritious meals a day. You can do your daily dozen. You can just get the right amount of sleep. You can have all the things that we would call the American dream and still be restless. There is a restlessness in America right now. Now, folks, I'm not an alarmist, okay? I'm I'm not a person who's trying to alarm you, but I, I am here to wake you up. There is a restlessness. And the reason there is a restlessness is we have a whole generation of people who have taken very little, if any, time to cultivate their relationship with God. And their souls are dry and restless and nothing is satisfying anymore. The new car doesn't do it. The new motorcycle doesn't do it. The, 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 the nice vacation doesn't do it. And I'm not against any of those things. But none of those things will do what needs to be done. The soul will never be happy until it's nourished by the presence of God. And the presence of God is introduced into the soul by your praise. Let me give you another passage that illustrates what we're trying to say this morning. In Psalm 42, the psalmist said, As the heart 
panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You may not realize it, but your soul begins to take quick, panting breaths when it's not getting enough of the presence of God. And David said, my soul is panting after thee, O God. My soul is thirsting for God, for the living God. The Lord Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Ladies and gentlemen, we need to go to the, the real source of the restlessness in America right now. America needs an old-fashioned golly washer of a revival. We need an old-fashioned renewal of consecration and dedication to God. And that, and that only will cause the restlessness to go away. It was in January 1948 that gold was discovered in the stream at a sawmill owned by John Sutter in the Sacramento Valley. Word of the discovery spread like wildfire along the Pacific coast, across the nation and beyond. By 1849, thousands of people were struck by gold fever, and the gold rush was underway. Spurred by visions of quick wealth, the 49ers streamed into California. The gold seekers came from virtually every walk of life. Farmers mortgaged their farms. Workers gave up their jobs. Many left families behind, hoping, hoping, hoping to return with a great fortune. They raced by every means of transportation available. The greatest number came overland. They crossed the plains and mountains by pack horse, stagecoach, covered wagon, facing perils of, of thirst and hunger and treacherous terrain and lawlessness. California was flooded by gold seekers. An estimated 100,000 People flocked to California in 1849, and many more came during the next few years. Mining towns sprang up overnight. Life was rough. Life was uncertain. Often there was little or no organized law enforcement. Yet, in spite of all of that, they willingly left the comforts of the settled and civilized world for the sake of the call of gold. But you know... History will tell you that few 49ers actually struck it rich. Many failed to find wealth. And some, after risking everything and losing everything, after suffering hunger, thirst, hostile attacks, disease, loss of their loved ones, finally found what appeared, oh my God, oh my God, it's, it's huge, it, it's it's a strike. I, I've, got, I've got a huge amount of gold. And, and they breathlessly took their bags and loaded them onto the wagon, took it out of the bank, and went up to the teller, shoved it across through the window, 
only to find only to find that it was a mineral called pyrite a common sulfide mineral that is worthless and you know the nickname is called fool's gold still with me King Solomon had incredible wealth, incredible intelligence, every comfort that his day could offer. But he got distracted. Distracted by many things. He forgot the call of God upon his life. And in the evening of his life, you hear Solomon exclaim, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What's he saying? He's saying meaningless. It's all meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He said, what does a man gain for all the toil which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. And that, my friend, is the same conclusion that every one of Adam's race comes to somewhere along the line when they forget their God-given purpose. The Apostle Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If all we have to look forward to is this life, he said, we are of all men most miserable. Looking at this life only produces the same melancholic chord in every generation frustration, boredom, monotony, and unfulfilled desires. Inside the heart of every human, however, there is a thirst for God. There is a desire. God placed it there. There is a a desire in your heart to do the will of God, a desire to answer the call of God. Man wants to do good and be good because he was created in God's image with an inward desire to be good as God is good. The soul of man wants to worship. The soul of man wants to walk in the presence of God. The soul of man wants to serve God. Wherever you go on earth, you will always find that people are worshiping. They may not be worshiping the right thing. They may not be worshiping the right God even, but there is an innate desire in every human, no matter how primitive the civilization, there is always a desire in humans to worship. You don't find it so much, or you don't find it in the animal kingdom, but you find it in humans wherever you go. Why? Because I was made in the image of God. I was created a living soul. My soul is happy in the presence of God. If I can have Jesus in my heart. I can be happy in whatever situation I find myself in. At some point in life, I've known this and watched this happen. For 40 years, I've been in the ministry. And I've watched this many times. At some point in life, God gives every human a chance to answer the call. I've seen some folks that got one chance that I know of, and it was over. You've heard me tell about, well, often I get calls from people who need help. And the gentleman called and said, I need help with my rent. I don't usually give rent help because once you start doing that 
There's no place to stop. But this time I felt checked in my spirit. And I said, yes, I will help you. He was living down at an apartment on Water Street. I said, there's only one thing I'm going to ask you. I'm not going to ask you to pay it back. I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. He said, what's that? I said, I want you to come to church Sunday. He said, deal. I went down. I put money on his rent. Sunday morning, we were much doing like we're doing this morning, and I was about to step to the pulpit, and someone came up to me and said, Pastor, there's a man that came in the vestibule. He, he looked around. He said, too many people for me. And he went like that, and he walked back out. I said, oh, oh. And I just felt urgency, and I left the pulpit, and I quickly walked down, and I got to the door, and I opened it. I could see his back. He was walking down Highway 27 toward town. The next time I read his name was in the obituary column. I just had this feeling that God was making that call, that God was saying, I'm calling you. Now I've seen other people that God has called repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And I thank God for his grace. You may be one of those. But I have noticed this. It appears to me that in every person's life, God will make a time in which he will make a special call. You'll feel something drawing you. You'll feel something pulling at your soul. Friend, that doesn't come because of you. That comes because God put a God-shaped vacuum called a soul in your, in your body, and, and it will say, let me come into the presence of God. Let, let, me, let me spend time in the Word of God. Let, let me have a chance to, to sing and to praise God. Just, just give me a fighting chance. Give me a chance to, to walk with God. I, I was in the presence of God before I came into your body, and I need to be in the presence of God. Give me a chance to be in the presence of God. And God gives a way of escape. God calls. You know, it must have been a, a, an amazing thing. Ab Abram was uh, a very wealthy uh, business owner. And one day he walks into his parents' home and he says, uh, I'm going to be leaving. They said, come on now, what, what are you talking about? No, I'm going to be leaving. Well, really? Well, you know, you've got quite a business going. Yes, I know. Uh, and where are you going? I don't know. What? Well, what do you mean you don't know? I, I'm just going to try to follow after God. And God said that if I would leave my father's house and go to a land that he would show me, that he would make me great. That he would bless me. And he would bless them that bless me, and he would curse them that curse me. That's still true today, by the way. And Abram stepped away. He called Moses at a burning bush, and he said, I, I am the God of thy fathers. And the implication was, I'm the God of your fathers. Would you like for me to be your God? He called a young child named Samuel. 
And Samuel answered the call and became a prophet, priest, and a judge. Think about this. Andrew and Peter were commercial fishermen. They were always working long hours. Before anybody was up, they were up. It was not an easy life. Everything was done by hand. No motors, no hydraulics, just oars, sails, hands, and strong backs. And by everyone's estimation, they were doing quite well. It was a good livelihood. It brought home the bread. But these two men were not entirely happy. Something was missing. Perhaps they felt caught in the endless cycle of repetition. Repair the boat. Repair the sails. Fix the nets. Fish all night. Start all over again. Caught in repetition. And so Jesus comes walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Peter, Andrew, his brother, and he notices them casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, and he just walks up to the shoreline and says, Peter, Andrew, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. How strange. What? You're interrupting the repetition that we're doing every day. And strangely enough, the Bible says at once they left their nets and followed him, and straightway left their nets and followed him. What? This man walks up and says, follow me. They drop their nets and start following him. I don't read about selling the boat. I don't read about taking care of anything. They just dropped their nets and said, we're with you. They reckon, their soul recognized the call of God. And going from there, Jesus saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and, and he called them. I'm calling you. And look what it says in verse 22. And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. What is going on? James and John employed in the family business just as previous generations. And Jesus walks up with purposeful strides to the water's edge and says, James and John, will you follow me? An unbelievable, unbelievably, James and John, without a moment's hesitation, just dropped their nets and walked. And, and they left the family business, the fishing vessel, and their dad. That makes me think of another statement that Jesus makes in Matthew 10. He said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. I am come to set a man at various against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. And then he makes this statement. He says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And it brings that 
a statement to my mind, a song that says, I lost it all to find everything. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure hidden in the field. He's worth everything. To get Jesus is worth everything in your life. And so James and John stepped off the boat. Empty nets lying at the water's edge told a story that few could believe. It was the talk of the town and none could explain how some, some crazy fishermen agreed to go where Jesus led with, with no thought of, of what they would gain for Jesus had called them by name and, and they answered and they said, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all but the sake of the call, wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Now you might think they made this huge sacrifice. You are absolutely wrong. I've been over there and have done some touring and praying and reading the word and looking at different locations and when it came to the Sea of Galilee, it was a lake about the size of Moosehead Lake. Peter and James and John, Andrew, they were fishermen who would have spent their life fishing on a lake about the size of Moosehead Lake. But when Jesus calls you, he elevates you. Now you'll see his name as St. Peter and St. James and St. Andrew. What happens when God calls somebody, he never pushes them down. He always elevates them. Now they are household names that still are remembered throughout the centuries, the many, many, many centuries of time. They are remembered because one day Jesus walked up and said, follow me. And they said, yes, I'm going to follow you. And today they are remembered even in the good word of God. I have to tell you that the call of God always elevates from the mediocre. The call of God, it's a wonderful thing. Wow. The call of God brought them into friendship with Christ. The call of God brought them to an upper room. The call of God led them to a beautiful gate where a lame man was healed. The call of God caused their names to be written in the Lamb's book of life, brought them into God's hall of fame. The call of God gave them eternal life. Not one time do we read where the men who obeyed the call of God complained bitterly. Now, in the 40 years of ministry, I have stood beside many dying people. Matter of fact, I've married a lot of your young and buried a lot of your dead. But I have never heard, as I stood beside the bed, a person say, I just regret that I answered the call of God. I've ne never, never heard anybody say, man, I just gave God too much of my life. I may have heard other things, but that's not one of them. I have heard people thanking God that they were able to live for God all those years just before they passed into eternity. One time there was a bunch of people 
who were following Jesus for the loaves and the fish. They were getting free meals and, hey, beat, punch in the clock. So they followed Jesus for the loaves and the fish. One day Jesus got up and he made some very hard statements and, and they said, oh, we don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. And, and by the droves, they got up and walked. Jesus looks at his close disciples and he said to the twelve, will you also go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so thankful that God is so gracious and so good. I've been blessed to be able to do a lot of things that, you know, just God's been very good to me. But hands down, the most important thing that ever happened to me was when I was just a small child and somebody said, is there anybody here that would like to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ? And I walked up to the front and I cried and I lifted my hands. I was nine years old when Jesus Christ filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I had an experience like they had in Acts chapter 2. God took control of my tongue. I spoke a language I did not know. Somebody said, well, what's that? You'd have to do a little Bible study with me to, for me to share with you what, what that's all about. But I will tell you this. It's available to everybody, no matter where they are, who they are. It's available. It has been a lifesaver for me. When I walked into the intensive care unit and Deborah had tried to commit suicide and had done a fairly good job of it. And the artificial respirator was keeping her lungs going. And I walked in, laid my hand upon her head and said, Oh God, in the name of Jesus. Nothing happened. There was no expectation that she would live from the medical staff. I walked out. I called my wife. I said, get a prayer team praying. I'm going to go back and pray one more time. My wife got some ladies to pray. And while they were praying, I walked in. And ladies and gentlemen, I tell you the honest to God truth. When I put my hand upon her head, and it was in their hospital, as I recall, in Waterville, Maine. When I put my hand upon her head the second time and I said, in the mighty name of Jesus, her shoulders went boom, 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 boom. Her eyes blinked open and she was released from the hospital. I'm going to tell you that obeying the call of God is the most important thing that anybody in the world could ever do. Well, I've gone this far now. I'm just going to be... telling you a story now that you have a hard time believing. This Christian lady was in her home and she was asleep and she woke up. It must have been around one or two o'clock in the morning as I recall. And she said the Holy Spirit of God impressed her that she was to sing power, power, power in the blood. And so she did, and she felt like the Lord was not happy with that, and, he, and she felt, this is crazy, 
that she should go out on the back porch and sing Power in the Blood. So she went out, opened the door, stood on the porch, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you be free? And she started singing the verse and the chorus, and she felt relieved, and she went to bed, and she went back to sleep. Next morning, and she woke up and she thought, uh-oh. She quickly put on a house coat, cracked the door, and there was a neighbor standing there. He said, ma'am, were you singing Power in the Blood at 2 o'clock this morning on your porch? She said, oh, yes, matter of fact, I was. He said, ma'am, I was standing in the bathroom with a razor to my throat. I was done. I couldn't take any more. And I heard you singing, would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. Would you or evil the victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. He said, ma'am, thank you. You saved my life. Hallelujah. Twenty-five-year-old Sir Winston Churchill was the London Morning Post correspondent at one time. He was assigned to cover the Boer War in South Africa. He was aboard a, a British armored train that would take him as close to the front as he could get. The train got too close. There was a sudden crash. The train had struck a boulder on the tracks, a Boer booby trap. It was an ambush. Churchill was captured, thrown into prison at Pretoria. The Pretoria prison was among the world's most carefully guarded strongholds. Still, that did not stop Churchill from plotting an escape with two other British captives. As darkness fell, the trio waited for their opportunity. It was now pitch black. The sentries exchanged their posts. Churchill sprang across an open area, hurtled a fence of barbed wire mesh. When he looked back, there was no one. His comrades had missed their chance. Churchill escaped. Of course, you know, went on to become England's prime minister. There comes a time when action is required. There comes a time when God calls, and, and it's not good enough for him to call. You, you have to take an, an action to answer that call. And, and Churchill sprang into action, and the other guys, for whatever reason, timidity or whatever, they hung back and they missed their chance. If you move with the crowd, you'll get no further than the crowd. God is calling you to step from the ranks of the anonymous to answer the call of God like you never have before. Christ said, but the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in, and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. 
When I was a kid, I always marveled at the, the picture of Christ at the door. How many seen that beautiful classic picture of Christ standing at the door with his hand upraised, knocking? And I wondered why. Why would Christ be standing at the door and knocking? And then I looked down, and in this classic picture, I noticed there is there's no handle. There's no doorknob. There's nothing. It's all from the inside. So he says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I, I will come in to him and will sup with him and, and he with me. I'm not all quite sure where this message is going today and is coming to a conclusion right now. All I know is that in every person's life, there is a time or times in which God says, you know what, I'm going to draw you closer to me. And it's very important at that time in our life, whenever that season is, and you know when the season is because you'll feel it drawing you. It actually has a drawing power. And you'll feel like, I, I want to pray more. I, I, I want to know the Lord better. I, I, I want to get closer. And that's God giving you this invitation. Whenever God makes an invitation like that, don't take it lightly. Don't just say, oh, I'm just feeling a little bit sentimental. I'm feeling a little bit emotional. I'm just feeling like it's just me. And it's not just me. It's God calling. And that call is evidenced by the soul that says, oh, 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 I, I felt God. I want more of that. And sometimes it can be like a chance meeting in the night. Sometimes it can be like, well, it can be unplanned. And all of a sudden, you hear footsteps. Your soul, at least, hears the footsteps. It's the Nazarene. He's, he's walking up to the shore where you're busy with your life's jobs. And he says, follow me. And the answer you give to that determines what is going to happen in the rest of your life and in eternity. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, this is a word I believe that you gave to us today. I believe that you're calling each and every one of us to a closer walk with you. I believe, oh God, that there are many things that are distracting us, perhaps hindering us in our divine purpose that you have for our life. I ask, O oh God, today that let the presence of God reach into the hearts of all of us. None of us can say, this does not apply to me. But each and every one of us, Lord, we need your presence. We need your power. We need your spirit in our lives. We need you now more than ever. Our nation is in trouble 
And we need an old-fashioned revival to sweep our nation. We need God-fearing men and women to fall to their knees and begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Lord, this is not a situation that we can just get out of all by ourselves. But Lord, we need you like we've never needed you before. We're not able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But Lord, we need that higher power of God. We need the presence of the Lord to lead and guide and direct our steps. And I pray that there would be people here today that could be sensitive enough to the voice of the Lord. That they would realize that there's something unique going on right now in our lives. And that I can hear the call of God. In Jesus' name, let somebody answer, I pray, in the affirmative. I pray, oh God, let somebody answer and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I close with a little song this morning that is exactly saying what I just said. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. And give all myself to you. Here I am. You see, if you'll let God have his way, you need to start maybe having a little prayer walk in the daytime or night. Maybe it's time to take a few moments on your break. And just talk to God. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. I give all myself to you here I am here I am Lord here here I am let your spirit Let your spirit 
Here I am. 